This week we're looking um, at the second message of the series, Jesus, um, Understanding Jesus. And if you don't know what this is here on the board, we explained it last week. If you look at it from the right perspective, all these random shapes actually spell out Jesus. And some of you might spend the entire time trying to make that click. How many of you can see Jesus pretty quickly in there? Okay, I was asked to to do a little survey because for some people it takes a little longer and I feel like it's become too obvious. Okay, hey, you want to do that? Sure. We've got first letter here is J. Do you see it in the negative space? Right there. Next we have E outlined there. Next one is S. I'll step out of the way so you can see the whole thing. U is outlined there and the last S here. It takes a different perspective, looking at this from a different perspective to see Jesus in the midst of all the chaos there. Um, so we, do you understand Jesus now? You see it there? Okay. Um, so we're looking at the second half of John 14. Luke started out last week with the first half of John chapter 14. Um, so we'll be coming into the second half of John chapter 14 and finishing off the chapter here today as we continue in our series, Understanding Jesus. So if you would, turn to John chapter 14 or you can go to the Bible app. You, by you version, you can tap on events. And if you tap on more, go to events and look up Mitchell Berean. You'll see all of the scripture and there's quite a bit today. Um, and you'll be able to follow along there. So let's start off. Verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This echoes from our last series where we were looking at the book of James. And in James 1.22, it says, but prove yourselves, what? Doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If we're deluded or we're tricked, we're not seeing things right if we're not doing the word of God after we've looked at it. So it kind of echoes that. Some of us say, and maybe many of us in here, perhaps all of us say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, or I am a Christ follower. Well, there's people in here, and we would say, I am financially responsible. Well, where's the proof in that? The proof is in our checkbook. It's in what our finances actually look like, right? If we look at it and we see money is managed well and there's money going to savings, there's money to maintain housing costs and, and there's money to give, we're, we see, okay, that person, they align with what they're saying. They are actually financially responsible. But if we look and we see high credit card debt and we see late payments and we see um, indulgent purchases that don't match up with the, the level of income, we can say that the opposite is true. Well, that what they're saying doesn't match up with what's actually true and what's actually happening. The proof is in how you're actually handling your money to, as to whether you're financially responsible or not, right? Or there's people that say, I'm a fitness junkie, but they never work out, right? And the only junky thing about it is the junk food they're eating. The proof is in getting to the gym, right? Or working out or... Um, being like Sean, one of our drummers, you know, he's, he's a bodybuilder. Um, or Christina, she's disciplined and she's going to go run the Boston Marathon. And she is a runner, not because she's running the Boston Marathon, but because she's working up towards that again. I hear, I hear people say, I'm a guitarist, but they don't know a single chord, Right? I'm a guitarist. Just because you own a guitar doesn't make you a guitarist. Just like owning a Bible and coming to church on the weekends doesn't make us a Christian, right? 
The proof is in how we carry out our lives. How much are we in the word of God? Do we hunger for it? Are we growing in our love for who God is? How much do we know about what he says? And do we counsel God before we make decisions? Are we actually obeying God? The proof of being a disciple is in what we're doing. We can look at the checkbook of our lives and see how are we living. Okay, if you love me, you will keep my commandments was verse 15. So we're in general agreement that, man, I want to live in obedience to God's commandment, right? Because I want to I love God. Remember, the purpose of the law, the commandments in the Old Testament, is to reveal to us our need for a Savior, that we can't measure up to the perfect standard of God and that we need a Savior. So salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us how we can live this life of obedience after we've accepted Christ. As we look at verse 16 and 17 of chapter 14 of John. I will ask the Father and he will give another helper. If you're looking at the, the New Living Trans, Translation, it says advocate. And the first letter there is capitalized. That's significant. So that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him, see him or know him, but you know him because he remains in you and, and will be with you. So coming straight off of verse 15 that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, he says, and I'll send you a helper to be able to do that. You don't have to do it on your own. You are not left on your own devices to be able to, to do God's commandments. Isn't that encouraging? that we get supernatural help from the Holy Spirit to be able to live out verse 15, keeping his commandments. Things are about to change in the disciples' lives. I'll explain to you a little bit about their understanding of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which is what they knew up until this point. The Spirit of God came to empower specific people for specific tasks in the Old Testament. Now think maybe Samson, who was empowered to take a jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand of the Philistines. The Spirit of God was moving in him. And um, in his last moments, he prayed and the Spirit of God came upon him and he was able to push the pillars down and take out some of the Philistines. Or think about the prophets. The Spirit of God came upon them to help them to speak prophecy or, or do great things and miracles, perhaps, in God's name. The builders of the tabernacle, those of you who have been following along in the, in the daily reading plan, you see that they were given incredible art, artistry uh, skills to be able to construct and creatively design um, to God's standard these, the tabernacle as the Israelite people were moving um, from Egypt to the promised land. God came upon specific people and then he'd leave. But that didn't mean they weren't covered by the sacrificial animals, soon to be covered by Jesus later on, but it just meant that that specific task was complete and the Spirit of God would come away. The Spirit of God would be removed on account of sin, and we see that with Saul. Saul, King Saul, did not kill all of the animals and it completely annihilate the land that he was told to. And he said, well, I've saved these aside to worship your God, Samuel. And Samuel said, God loves obedience more than sacrifice. Um, and the spirit of God was removed from Saul. And King David, who came right after him, 
sinned against Bathsheba by sleeping with her and killing her husband. And in Psalm 51, we see his, his prayer of repentance. Starting in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He saw what happened with Saul. And he was terrified that that might happen with him because of his sin. But the difference here is that Saul remained in his sin and didn't confess it. But David humbly confessed his sin before God and was restored. And God had mercy on him and kept his spirit within David. So God came upon people for specific tasks. It wasn't, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to the general public. But we see the Holy Spirit interacting with God's people in a public way through the tabernacle. The Spirit of God dwelled within the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and he dwelled between where the angel wings came together, and that is the meeting place with God as they were moving through. And then the temple was eventually constructed to be the permanent residency of the Holy Spirit as he dwelled among God's people. This is the Old Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit that the disciples knew, that the Holy Spirit was behind a thick veil, a curtain, um, that only the high priest could enter if he went through the sacrificial requirements, the washing requirements, um, encountered the, the, the lamp and the, the laver, the, the bread and the table. And after going through all the ceremony, then the high priest could enter the presence of the Holy Spirit and minister to the Holy Spirit, it says, and then maybe receive a word from the Holy Spirit for the people. Then there was 400 years of silence. And we don't hear about the Holy Spirit. And we don't hear about the work. They hadn't heard anything from God during this period of time. This 400 years of silence was just quiet. And then we hear John the Baptist. He comes on the scene. And in Mark chapter 1, John was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he, capital H, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's my belief that the Holy Spirit wasn't in the temple anymore. They had kind of gotten used to the religious things and the Spirit of God had left and wasn't moving powerfully but yet they still had this exoskeleton of all the religious things that they would do um, as prescribed by the word of God, but it was completely devoid of meaning because the spirit of God wasn't in it and the spirit of God wasn't there. And so that's why we hear of the Pharisees and all their judgmental ways and Jesus condemning them when he comes because all they're doing is this external exoskeleton of what was supposed to have meaning and the meaning was relationship with God intimacy with God. And so my question is, how many of us are going through this external religiosity? We're going to church and we're saying our prayers. We're looking at the version devotion app for the morning, but it doesn't have deep meaning because we're not connecting with God in the midst of it. The whole purpose, the whole point was relationship and they lost it. So the disciples are coming into this context of the Holy Spirit without really understanding who he is and they have this religious mindset. The closest they have is Jesus in the example here. That's the backdrop. Let's jump ahead though 
So we look, we look back. Let's jump ahead and pass where we are in our passage. We're in chapter 14 of John. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 7. And Jesus says this, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus has got to go in order for the spirit to come. Let's fast forward some more. This is in Matthew 27. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been beaten. He's carried his cross down to Golgotha. It's been placed in the ground and Jesus has been hoisted up and nailed to the cross to die. And he says this, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. If you're going through the daily Bible reading plan, that was actually yesterday in the book of Mark that it talks about this. The veil was supernaturally torn from top to bottom when Jesus's blood was being spilt. This has huge implications for you and me. The only the high priest could enter the presence of the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden the veil is torn. That's huge. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit is available for anybody to access Let's fast forward some more. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Jesus has already died on the cross. He rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in in the book of Acts. We'll look at the first chapter of Acts. We'll start in verse four. And Jesus was gathering them together, the disciples, and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Holy Spirit had promised, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father had fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There's the mission, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were kind of stuck there just standing. They were just staring. And an angel had to come and say, guys, remember the mission. You'll be my witnesses. He's like, get to work. But I've also given you my power, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your power to accomplish the mission. He gives us a mission and the means to be able to accomplish that mission. But he said he had to leave before the Holy Spirit came. And we see Jesus leaving at this moment. Hold that thought as we jump back to our passage. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. He's leaving, but he's not leaving us as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Okay, did you hold that thought? Let's jump back to Acts here. And let's see the fulfillment of this. Acts chapter two, verse one through four. This is exciting stuff. When the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And it continues on to say that even though they were speaking in one language, everybody from all different language groups were able to understand that one speaker in their own language. This is supernatural. So what happened as this room was filled and these tongues of fire came on and the Holy Spirit was given? The Holy Spirit was being introduced in a brand new way. The disciples hadn't seen this before. The world hadn't seen it before. Jesus, the final and ultimate sacrifice, purifies us entirely by taking our sin away completely and he fulfills all of the steps of the tabernacle and purification, all the steps that lead up to encountering the Holy Spirit. Jesus accomplished all of that so we don't have to sacrifice bulls and lambs and birds anymore because we turn to Jesus. He's the ultimate sacrifice. We turn to him repenting of our sin and accepting his free gift of eternal life. And we become now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy of Holies is now in us. And we see that in scripture. 1 Corinthians 3:16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the temp- and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple is holy and that is what you are. We have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. That is profound. That is awesome. That's true today. 1 John 4, 4, if you are from God, little children, you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is given to you and me to empower us to live the lives God wants us to live, to be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So what is this life he wants us to live? How is it that he wants us to live? Let's jump into our passage again. John 14, starting in verse 21. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the one that betrayed Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Judas said to him, Lord, What has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling or abode with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words and the word which you hear from me is not mine, but the father's who sent me. A couple words I want to draw out here. Anyone, anyone, Just like John 3.16 earlier in this book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever should believe in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. The spirit is available to anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. And the other word that, that I see here is dwelling and abode. God wants to dwell and make his living quarters within you and me walking every step, empowering us every step, counseling, guiding, bringing to mind all these things we're going to talk about. So we have a choice. We have the spirit of God living in us and he's here, he's here to empower us to obey and submit to God's will. Obedience, which is our spiritual service of worship according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. So why do I struggle? It's kind of the question, right? So if I've placed my faith in Jesus and if I'm filled with the spirit, why do I struggle? 
Our thinking is wrong is one of the reasons. One of the reasons we struggle is our thinking is wrong. If I told you, don't think about an apple. Stop thinking about the apple. It's wrong to think about the apple. What are you thinking about? The apple. You're thinking about the apple because we're so focused on what we're not supposed to be focused on and we're fighting that, that we're actually focused on it, right? Um, Colossians 3, right off the bat here, it says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things here on earth. There's a couple commands here. Seek it. Pursue the right thing. Start walking in this direction. You're not going to be walking in that direction, right? Let's not just be lazy on the lazy boy of our spirituality and just let whatever comes to us happen. We've got to be seeking and setting our minds on the things of heaven and on the, on the things of Christ. There's an activeness and a discipline to it. So let's set our mind on where it's supposed to be, not focusing on what we're not supposed to be doing. I've been there. I've been there. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, and I focus on that. And it becomes a bigger problem because that's what I'm focused on. Focus on things above. Another reason we struggle is our identity is not claimed. Look at Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. We gotta claim our identity. When Christ, who is our life, it says there in Colossians. Now in my office, I've got sparkling water drinks. We don't like to drink a whole bunch of sugar before we sing because it's an inflammatory and it does stuff to your vocal cords and it kind of chokes you up. So I've got sparkling water in my office. Um, you're welcome to come by the church and we can drink sparkling water in my office if you want. Um, these two cans are the same, right? They're bubbly. This is not an advertisement. I'm not getting paid for this. This is bounce. That means it's caffeinated. I drank one of these this morning because it's time change weekend. They're the same. They look the same, right? They're identical. They're the same brand. They're the same uh, flavor. There's a difference between the two. One of them is filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, sparkling water. You get the analogy though, right? And the other one is not filled and sealed. This one gets its value from what's inside of it. This one, it's empty. There's nothing to it. So when the pressures of life come, what happens to the one that's not filled and sealed? The pressures come, there's no chance And we try to hold ourselves up and there's nothing but air there because we're not filled and sealed by the spirit. We're not filled and sealed by what we're supposed to be filled and sealed by. But when the pressures of life come and they press in on the one, oh, you're worried, aren't you? I had some extra ice cream last night. I don't know. When the the one that is sealed and filled encounters pressure, what happens? It withstands. It doesn't get crushed. It doesn't get crushed because it is filled and sealed, just like you and me. We claim our identity. No, I don't need to be crushed by this because I know I'm filled and sealed with the Spirit of God. I'm going to claim that with what I'm going through. I know that to be true. 
And even though I'm worried that it might crush me, just like you were worried that I was going to crush this can here, it's not going to crush. I don't know what that makes you think about how much I weigh that you think I'd crush that. Kids don't try that at home. I had somebody tell me I had to add that disclaimer. Um, We are completely filled. The other aspect is, okay, how do you take an old can, a can that's already been drunk out of, like that kind of reversed order. But scripture tells us that's what happens to us. We are made new. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You can be made new. You can be filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So Christ, who is our life, let's claim that identity. Let's claim his strength when we go through things. So our identity, claim it. Another reason we struggle is because we're not submitting to the spirit of God. My desires are God's desires. Galatians 5, we're going to look at a few different sections of Galatians 5 here. Verse 16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Follow his lead. If he's asking you to do something, do it. And it's easier to do it right away than when he has to press in harder and press in harder and we resist and it just gets um, stronger and stronger until we break, right? Do it right off the bat. We'll talk a little bit what it means to be led and filled by the Spirit in just a bit. Another reason is our heart is in a wrong place. That's why we struggle and we need God, God to change it. Verse 19, and 20, 19 to 21 here of Galatians 5. Now the deeds of the flesh, does this describe your life? Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, and carousing. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. Is it because they do these things that they won't enter the kingdom of God? No, I think this is representative of people who don't have the Spirit of God, which would indicate that they have not encountered a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're powerless against the sin in your life and you're fighting hard against it because. You've never encountered Christ. You've never repented of your sin, bowed before Jesus, said, I am desperately in need of a savior. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need the blood of Jesus to wash me clean. I claim Jesus and I give my life to you. Maybe you haven't come to that point and that's why you're powerless against the sin in your life. We're going to be powerless against these things, powerless against our fight against them if we haven't surrendered to Christ. That's the gospel. God changes our heart. So if our our heart is wrong, if your heart is in a place where you haven't given your life to him, do it. Do it now. Don't wait. And you get the power of the Holy Spirit right away. Another reason is we're ignorant about how we're supposed to live. In Galatians 5, it continues on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. It's dead. Old flesh is dead with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I think we struggle because we don't understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I have a propane tank at home, and as I burn the propane, the tank goes down, and I gotta pay to get it refilled. I don't think that's how the spirit works. Just like this right here, it's sealed and filled. It can't get any fuller, can't get any emptier because it's sealed, it's done. We have 100% of the spirit at all times. But how submitted are we are to the spirit? And how are we tapping into fanning the flame that God um, has given us? We're encouraged to fan the flame of the spirit within us. I'll tell you what it isn't. What being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't is an emotional experience. Um, I remember going to a night of worship. This is when I was in upper level high school. I lived in Lincoln and I went to the Joyo Theater and there was this night of worship and I remember having my arm around another guy and we were crying together and just praying. And um, I remember driving and leaving home, uh, leaving for home and uh, thinking to myself, oh, I'm changed. Like I'm completely different now. This is radical. And I get home and my mom asked me something simple like, hey, did you get your room clean? And I just snapped at her, like rudely, arrogantly, with anger. And it just rushed over me that I was, I was encountering this emotional experience, but not a heart change. <laughs> don't be confused by emotionalism. Now, I'm not saying don't be emotional and we have to stand and sing Gregorian chants during worship. But we express our love with emotion. But the emotion coming toward us isn't what's going to change our hearts. God loves here in our heart and let's express vibrantly our love and our desire for him and our gratefulness and thankfulness. Um, but an emotional experience doesn't change our hearts necessarily. Um, another thing it doesn't look like is it doesn't look like all of your external circumstances falling into place. I think of Paul. He was filled by the Holy Spirit, called by the Spirit, and he got thrown into prison. At one point he was beaten and left for dead doesn't sound like a, an improvement of his situation, everything falling into place. He's beaten and left for dead, but he jumps back up and he walks right back to the temple and he starts sharing the gospel again, the very thing that got him thrown in prison in the first place. He was filled by the Spirit. Look at what it encouraged him to do. Look at the power it gave him and the inspiration it gave him to be able to keep doing that in the midst of what was going on. He was shipwrecked, terrible eyesight, all kinds of things. It wasn't his external circumstances dictating for him the moving of the spirit. It's from within. It's also not an easy way out. Just because it's an easy way out doesn't mean it's from the spirit. When God told me to love my wife, or rather my, my ex-wife at the time, as Christ loved the church, that's not an easy way out. The easy way out is oh, I'll just find somebody new who does like me um, instead of this gal who hates me, Right? But God said, and this is from the word of God, love her as Christ loved the church. Whew, that's hard. And it took another 10 months for me to actually understand that and my will to break and submit to that and I could actually move forward. And then what I found out is as I loved her as Christ loved the church, it didn't matter what she did to me. I was going to act this way. There's incredible joy in obedience. And our joy comes from God, not the people we're around, not our circumstances around us. And God graciously restored our marriage and that's not a guarantee for everyone who walks in obedience that their external circumstances are going to happen. But living by the word of God and in obedience to him, he can bless, he can reward. And God graciously did that. He restored our marriage. 
So grateful. Another thing it doesn't look like is self-exalting. If somebody's going around saying, I did this, I restored my marriage, guys. No, I don't walk around saying that. It's only God. It's only God. If the Spirit of God is moving in a place, like with the men here at Mitchell Berean, you don't know how many men are stepping into discipleship relationships and daily time with the Word of God. It's phenomenal. And this is going to be a different church in six months in one year just because men are stepping up and growing in their love and relationship with God. It's going to be incredible. I'm excited. It's already been incredible. That's the Spirit of God. And the leadership of this church isn't claiming credit The leadership of this church is saying, this is a work of God. We're putting up the sails and watching him move. Credit goes to God. Also, another thing it doesn't look like is slandering. I've been there. I've said bad things about other people. It doesn't look like like slandering. You know what I mean? The poison spewers. They don't have anything positive to say about somebody or something. They're speaking out of their hurt and this root of bitterness from within them. It's not from the spirit. Don't listen to it. It's poison. And Satan is using it to infiltrate his church and tear people down and make his church less effective. It's from Satan. Don't be deceived. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Slander is not what it looks like. And the other thing, it doesn't look like, this is a double negative, I know. For you grammar Nazis, don't jump all over me. It is not unobvious. So the other side of that is it's clear. When somebody is led by the Spirit of God, people start noticing that person's talking different. That person's acting different. Jeff and Jackie's testimony from last week, incredible. Jackie's got posted on Facebook this past week. Jeff's will get posted next week. They're at marriage retreat right now, so I can talk about them. But phenomenal changes in their lives. And God's doing it. Jeff's eyes, I told him, like his eyes just look so dark and depressed. Now he's He's breathing free. He's like, man, whatever God wants me to do, and I'm loving my wife, I'm leading my family, and I'm leading my kids. Like, he has changed. What a dramatic change in his life and her life. Um, So what does it look like? It's obvious. Being filled with the Spirit looks like someone who's saved, someone who's filled and sealed. They have the Holy Spirit of God. There's not a gauge of more or less. Um, The Holy Spirit is only for the believer, so if it's an unbeliever and they're, they're experiencing all these things, nope, it's not the Spirit of God. It's got to be a believer. Matthew 22, 36 through 38, I think describes it well. And those of you who are in the Everyman of Warrior groups um, know that we had to memorize this. So it's not going up on the screen. Here it goes. Um, and they asked him, you might have to help me out, Jamie. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. How'd I do? Okay. You gotta jump in one of those groups. If, we, if there's another round started and you're having trouble with your quiet time, I tell you, this is a spark, a jump start. Get, get involved. Um, it's encouraging. Our love for God, though, is what's at the core. That is the main building block of being filled with the Spirit. We do what we do because we love God. We turn from sin because we love God. Everything is driven by our love for God. Starts with that. How about studying God's word? The spirit of God himself was involved in writing the scripture. Jamie prayed the passage there from um, 1 Timothy 3, 16, 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, um, which we also had to memorize. All scriptures God breathed and is profitable. Um, 
But Second Peter also talks about this. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word of God is the words of the Holy Spirit directly inspiring men. So when we get into the word of God, it comes alive to us. I've got an analogy of this. I was debating if I had time, but I'm making time for this. Don't worry, it's not going to shoot anything out. It's not going to shoot anything. I, I held it up like this, and I, some people ducked last night, so I made sure I, I said that. It's not going to go any further than like this. So, you have this spark, and you receive this flame. The Holy Oh, yeah, we're connecting, aren't we? I like that guy. Come to my house for 4th of July. Um, we get this spark and the spirit of God is referred to as a flame in our lives, right? And so we get this flame in us, the Holy Spirit in us. And as we study the word of God, it's like adding fuel to the flame, right? It's like adding fuel. It's fanning into flame this gift of the spirit. It's energizing the spirit of God within us. The word of God is powerful when combined with the spirit of God. The word of God is confusing, pointless to people who are, who are dying. That's what scripture says. How about we talk to God? We go to him in prayer. That's energizing the spirit in our lives. We listen to God. We stop and say, God, would you teach me? Would you show me from your word? Can you show me um, and recall to my mind what I need to be knowing and doing in this situation? Energizing the spirit, right? Ultimately, it's submitting to God's will. It's obeying what he has for us. Is there something that's throttling or quenching the spirit, as, as the word says? I've got this throttle right here, and I can quench the flow of propane to the end there. Are we quenching the spirit because we haven't surrendered to something? Maybe God's told you to repent from something and you aren't taking the measures to walk away from it or, or getting the help you need to quit that sin. You're quenching the spirit, the flow. Are you not forgiving someone? You're holding it against them and you're not letting it go. God has forgiven you. If you're not forgiving others, God's not forgiven you. Are you called to give generously to someone? And you just haven't written the check. Is God nagging you on something? Maybe he's telling you to send that text or make that phone call to somebody. Restore a relationship. Um, maybe get involved. Use your gift in church somewhere. Maybe it's something I haven't even mentioned. What has God been nagging? You know what it is in your heart and mind. Somebody else can't make that happen for you. But you're not going to encounter the movement of the Spirit of God. You're going to continue quenching if you keep throttling that down with disobedience. Same with me. For me, one of the most energizing things is when I get to share the gospel with somebody and they accept Christ. It's like this. Yes, people jumped. That was awesome. It's powerful. It's, that's what the Spirit of God like, is like in me. It's like, man, that's exciting. Yeah, you're there to share. You know what I mean. When you share the gospel and somebody accepts Christ, it's 
put you on fire. You just feel the spirit of God moving through you and, and he's speaking through you. It's not your own words. It's powerful. So how can we tap into and fuel the spirit in our lives? Turning from sin, getting in the word, listening to God, talking to God, submitting, giving in on those areas that we're resisting him in. Continuing on, John 14. These things I've spoken to you while remaining with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Jesus is a perfect example of this. Jesus, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit and was led into the wilderness. And he was tempted three times. And as he was tempted on these things that he would really fleshly want, he responded by quoting scripture that God brought to mind. And the word of God combated directly the lies that Satan was trying to trip him up with. It's true for you and me too. He said, Jesus said, I'll teach you these things and I'll remind you of all that I said He will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will. And he'll remind you of all that I said to you. If you don't know what the word of God says, how is he going to remind you of all that he said? We got to get in the word of God so that we can have those defenses for for the devil's attacks. Jesus modeled it perfectly. And the disciples encountered this um, when they were sent out on ministry. Matthew 10, 19 and 20. But when they hand you over, don't worry about um, how or what you are to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Isn't that encouraging? I think a lot of us, when we go to share the gospel, we're kind of worried about what I'm gonna say. Man, if you know the scripture and you get the spirit of God in you, it's gonna come out. Just let the spirit flow and you'll share with them the simple gospel. It's not complex. Okay, let's wrap up our passage here. 27 to 31 in John 14. Peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. You have heard that I said to you, I am going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And I have told you now before it happens so that when it happens you may believe I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in regard to me. But so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. Get up and let's go from here. Few things here. The ruler of the world is coming. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. And Satan's going to put things in the midst of your life to trip you up so that you don't follow the will of the Spirit, and so that you will quench the power of the Spirit in your lives. Be aware that you have an enemy. But Jesus said, but he has nothing in regard to me. He ain't nothing. He ain't got nothing on me. And I'm in you. You have my complete power in you to have victory over everything and to see the devil's schemes as they come. Tap into me. And then Jesus gives the example. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the, as the Father commanded me. Jesus sets the example and he obeys the Father. Jesus obeys the Father to the point of death. Even death on a cross. 
It might not be fun what God's calling you into and moving you into, but the implications of your obedience may impact others. Now, Jesus' obedience impacts you and me directly. And aren't you grateful that Jesus obeyed the Father and that Jesus died for you and me? Are you grateful for that, church? Amen. That is life for you and me. That's everything. Christ is my life. I love him. And I want to dedicate my life to him. How can I obey and serve you, Jesus? Those are the questions I ask. And then Jesus says, now get up. Let's go. (laughs) Get up. Let's go from here. Don't stay where you are. Let's get up and go. We got to put our feet to it. What does tomorrow look like? Get up. Get in the word of God. Get some accountability. Talk to God. Get some tools to help you. We've got some incredible tools here. There's a discipleship list um, right outside the doors that if you want somebody to disciple you and show you how to have a quiet time, how to have a relationship with God, get in touch with one of those people. And they love to walk with you and hold you accountable in a good way. It's a good thing. And we're super encouraged by our brothers that we have accountability with. Take steps. You got to move. You got to discipline yourself. Make those steps happen. Heavenly Father, move mightily in us as we surrender to your will, as we look to your word, as we surrender to your will and your word. God, we are inadequate in and of ourselves to live a life that is holy. And forgive us for striving on our own to try to please you. But God, we rest and we rely on the Spirit. We rest and rely on your finished work. We want to please you because we love you. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, God, we want to set our minds on you. Tuesday morning when we wake up, we want to set our minds on you. God, focus us in on what is really important in this life so we don't get distracted by the clutter, but we can see Jesus in the midst of all of it. And that gives meaning and purpose to all that we do. And we can live a righteous life that honors you. We can love you by obeying your commandments. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.